When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome into the hard count. It is, in fact, the People's Show. We said it last time. The same is true this time. Talking season is done. The time for talking has long passed us by, and there is just so much in front of us right now. Nick and I are about to jump on a plane here in a few short hours and head to Los Angeles. Going to be at the game. Georgia, TCU, Dogs and Frogs. We got some more breakdown to do within that game. You know me. I'm a football guy. I was fortunate enough to play the game in college. Now we all just watch it like it's our jobs. And fortunate enough for Nick and I, it is our job. So we're going to break down the game plans for both Georgia and TCU because I really think it's going to be a heavyweight bout. Like, styles make fights. Everybody always says that, but in this game especially, it is two polar opposites in terms of how they approach it stylistically. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun to break down. We got you covered here. Man, it is, it is very difficult to stomach the thing that we all learned, I guess, yesterday, and it was that there will be no tailgating at the college football playoff. It's not allowed. It's not allowed near SoFi Stadium for this game, at least. I don't know what it is on Sundays for the NFL game, but I know for this game there will not be tailgating. Makes me sick, breaks my heart, because you have the what is supposed to be the culmination of our favorite thing in the world, college football, the, the best game of the entire year, on paper at least, one and two, mano y mano. And we're not going to get one of the things that is so unique to our game, tailgating. I'll get off my soapbox, but... It's unfortunate, needs to be reviewed for wherever the next college football national title game is. I actually don't know where that is right now, but I'm sure we'll learn about it here in a few short days once clocks hits triple zeros in SoFi Stadium. But we got a lot more to talk about. We got the Oklahoma Sooners headed to the SEC potentially here pretty soon. Begs the question, are they ready? Are the Sooners ready to make the jump to the Southeastern Conference? Was on a program last night that is Oklahoma-centric. The JP and Travis show, they do a great job over there. And we talked a lot about the Sooners, and it got my wheels spinning. If they were to go tomorrow, how would it look? So we're going to break that down in its entirety and give you our thoughts, feelings, concerns there. Also talk about Tennessee, because the Vols are coming off a magical year. Like, we talked about it going into the year. The best-case scenario on a lot of people's minds was 10 and 2, maybe 9 and 3 more realistically. And all they did was take care of business, go 10 and 2. And one of those losses was to a South Carolina team that all of us had penciled in for a win. So a double digit underdog is one of the teams that beat them. I'm not here to unpack that more. I'm just saying there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon for Tennessee. Let's just take inventory. What is the state of the Tennessee Vols football program? There's a lot to unpack there with that one. And then we're going to go ahead and talk about Georgia's tight end room. Listen, you don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oscar Delp, Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers. It, it is just an embarrassment of riches in that tight end room. I'm going to talk about what makes them special. I'm going to talk about what issues they present the opposition and why it is so impactful. They have such ballers in that room. At the end of this program, we are going to go to some of your questions that we got from Twitter. 
That's very important to be following me right now on Twitter and on Instagram at JD Pakel is where we have a lot of interaction that we can then incorporate back into this program. Okay. We have a show twice a week live right now. Stay tuned for that. We got content coming for you every single day, whether it's short form videos, whether it's cut ups from this live show, but I promise I'm always accessible at those platforms. And like I said, today, we're going to those platforms to bring you into the program. So thank you in advance for that. Golly, it's here. It is finally here, the best time of the year. I'm going to turn my brightness down on my laptop. That's just distracting. All right. Thank you so much for being here. we got a lot to jump into. We waste no time. Let's get after it. The game plans for TCU and Georgia heading into the national title game are going to be paramount. They have been focusing on this one since... The games ended in Phoenix and Atlanta, respectively. I promise you they probably slept for six hours, maybe, to the coaching staff. Next day, back in the film room. Kirby Smart jumped on college game day on January 2nd, and the good folks at the desk of college game day asked him, do you know where we are right now? Do you know what's happening, essentially, across the college football landscape? And they're obviously at the Rose Bowl. It's January 2nd. It was the equivalent for us in the college football world of what New Year's Day typically is. And Kirby Smart had no idea. That just shows you how entrenched he was in the film study prepping for TCU. So bottom line, both programs going to bring their A game, going to bring their A game plan. But what is it going to be? What, what can we expect from TCU offensively and defensively? What can we expect from the dogs on both sides of the ball? Well, I'm going to break it down both offensively and defensively for Georgia, offensively and defensively for TCU. No stone is left unturned in this one. We watched the tape. We're going to tell you our findings. When Georgia has the football, they are just in, in terms of how they're built, you expect them to be that downhill smash mouth SEC football team. And here's the deal. They have that in the arsenal. They are very capable of doing that is the Georgia Bulldogs. But what I expect from them in this game, at least early, I think they're going to pass to set up the run. We saw them do it against Ohio State. If you remember correctly, their first 15 plays. 11 of those were pass plays. Now, why is the first 15 plays so insightful to us here? Well, the way that a college game plan works, most offensive coordinators will do what's called scripting the first anywhere from 10 to 15 plays. Because the script is just like, hey, this is what we're going to set the table with. This is what we want to do early on, and then we're going to adjust accordingly. If something crazy happens, maybe we'll deviate from it just a little bit, but this is going to be our bread and butter to start. We'll go from there. So being able to pass to set up the run is going to be enormous because it will mellow out those TCU run defenders. When I say mellow out, I just mean they got three down linemen, three linebackers, and three safeties, obviously two corners. Those safeties and linebackers, they are going to have to fill really quickly to help stop the run for Georgia, or to stop the run against Georgia, rather. And when you're triggering quickly, oftentimes it's hard to run against that. But if you get thrown on a couple times, if they hit maybe a quick slant, they hit a quick button hook, they hit that quick dig right across your face. Well, then as a safety, I'm saying, hey, I'm, I might take my time before I go run at that running back. I might sort of take a, a second read step before I go and try and fill in the run. And when that happens, if you're hesitating as a safety or as a linebacker against my Georgia offensive line, Kenny McIntosh, six yards, seven yards. Dejan Edwards, 20 yards. Like, then you kind of get to get ahead of steam if you're Georgia. So it's going to be pass. Let everybody chill out a little bit on the defensive side and keep them from triggering so quickly. And once they start to read it, 
Then they want to pound the rock. Then they want to let those big dogs eat. That's where the physicality could play a factor for Georgia. Now, I'm not going to be so simple as to say, I think Georgia's going to take the same approach as Michigan and try and just pound the rock. Like, maybe they want to get to that, but Stetson Bennett has been a dude for them all year. They trust him. They trust his experience. They like the offense going through him. They want him to dictate the tempo of this game. So Stetson Bennett having his say early and often will look a lot like quick game. That means three-step drop, balls out. It's not going to be a lot of Stetson Bennett drops, surveys the field, scrambles. It's going to be, if it's going according to plan for Georgia, balls out to Brock Bowers, balls out to A.D. Mitchell. We're spreading the wealth. We're cooking. And then you get to the run game later in the game. That's how I see Georgia approaching this whole thing offensively with Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator. Folks, if you haven't yet joined the program, we would love to have you here. I'm not going to beg. I mean, I will beg if that's what you want, but we would love to have you here. I'll leave it at that. Also, like I said, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at JD Piquel. One, because Nick Brake and I are going to be at the game and be in L.A. for the duration of the weekend into Monday and Tuesday. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that we do on that platform content-wise that we'd love to get to you. It's not going to be super long-form to where we put it on YouTube, but we can get it to you through those channels. Also, I love national title games for prop bets. And we're going to have our prop bets for you for this game on my Instagram. Again, at J.D. Piquel. So lock in with us there and we'll have a real good time. Now, on the flip side of things, the TCU defense should be walking with their head high, their chest out, their back straight, because they just walked into Phoenix and did what a lot of folks, including the good folks in Ann Arbor, did not think they could do. You heard the soundbite during the week, J.J. McCarthy saying, man, if they want to stay in that 3-3-5, three, three, rubbing his hands together, feeling good, and who can blame him? Structurally, they should have done what he said. Smash fest. They should have been able to pound the rock effectively. So this is not anything to talk down on J.J. McCarthy, one of our favorite guys on the program. But what I'm saying is everybody thought structurally with TCU having three down linemen and three linebackers, they wouldn't be able to get the push physically against Michigan. And what did they do? They triggered quick. They did what we told you they would do last week on this show. And they were very alert and consistent and efficient in how they filled those gaps. So I expect nothing different from TCU this week. I think what you're going to see, like I just mentioned when talking about the Georgia offense, the word is trigger. Linebackers, and safeties will trigger very, very quickly as soon as they get their run read. So they're watching that offensive line. Okay, we see a pulling guard. Okay, we see a, a tackle starting to block down. We got zone. All right, we're going. We're trusting our eyes. We're trusting our read. We trust our defensive coordinator, Joe Gillespie, what he told us during the week. We are going like a pack of wild dogs getting after him. So the key to this will be rallying to the football because – in how this defense is built, it's supposed to be able to stop space formations, meaning like you got the shotgun, you got a couple wide receivers spread out. Like we're supposed to be able to line up with that. Well, with a program like Georgia, who likes to kind of pack it in Titans and sort of try and play that bully ball, they need to fill quickly. And if you don't fill quickly, there may not be somebody behind you to make that tackle is what I'm trying to tell you. So being able to get more than just one hat to the football will be very, very important in terms of how they trigger. Now, we said this during the week as well. Early downs for the TCU defense will be paramount. 
will be of utmost importance. It was that way against Michigan, and the reason why they won that game, the stat that I think you can tell anybody and everybody as to why TCU won that football game, four sacks, 13 tackles for a loss, meaning Michigan's average third down position was third and seven and a half. Now, why is that significant? If I'm a defense and you have to make up seven, eight yards, you probably can't run the football to that. Like, if we're giving up seven, eight yards on third down as a defense, shame on us, man. If we're giving that up on the ground, rather, shame on us. Now, what I would imagine you have to do then is throw the football. And when they get Georgia in these third and seven or more positions, expect them to dial it up. I mean, Joe Gillespie is one of the best minds in defensive college football right now. And I expect them to take their shots at Stetson Bennett when they have him in obvious passing situations. So that's how I expect them to do it. I think get pressure creatively, fill quickly, and you got to be consistent in how you fill. You, you, you can't, like I said, you can't be one half-stepping and get there late because then the offensive lineman has position, and you can't read it incorrectly. Because you read it incorrectly, we got play action coming, or we have somebody else wide open downfield. Not a good way to live. So on Georgia's defense, I think the formula is kind of simple. We know who they are defensively. They are, for the most part, the flavor of the year has been man defense, which, to put it simply, if I'm calling man scheme after man scheme after man scheme on defense, that just means, hey, I like my guys better than your guys. We saw Georgia do a lot of that against Ohio State, a lot more than I actually anticipated that they would do, just because, I mean, Ohio State's got some freakish wide receivers. So, ultimately, they had to, you know, kind of take their lumps there, and it didn't always work out perfectly. But my feeling is if I'm Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp, the co-DCs for Georgia, if I feel good enough playing man against some all-everything wide receivers at Ohio State, and I'm cool to just live in that during the game, I would expect them to live in that again in this game. So the matchups are Keely Ringo, the matchups are Javon Bullard in the slot. Like That's going to be the, the key pieces to watch on the outside and the secondary. They're going to let them run. They're going to let them do their thing and play on an island. Because similar to that game against Tennessee, that was the, the identical game plan. That was the same thing we saw them do in Athens. Now, what happened in that game was they had a couple early wins. They caused a little bit of second guessing for the offense throwing the football downfield. And so then you turn it back to the run game. Then as an offense, you're saying, okay, we have to find other ways to make something happen here, and it's not happening on the perimeter, so we got to run the football. And when you try to run the football and you're playing man defense, to put it simply, you just have some guys that aren't in man coverage, so you're able to allocate those towards the run. So I'm trying to keep it very conceptual here. Like This is kind of the, the general feel of it, but bottom line, let your athletes play out wide, let them play on the edges, and then on the interior, those big boys up front, let them go to work. I will say this, though. I think you're going to see a lot of this Georgia defensive line have a what we call a mush rush. And a mush rush, to put it simply, is just we are rushing towards the quarterback, but we're not trying to rush past the quarterback. Because everybody and their mother knows. They've seen the tape of number 15, man. When he gets in space, he gets to ad-lib. That's when TCU starts to cook. If he gets to tuck the football and run and, and get out in space when a play breaks down, that's when they might be dangerous with him running the football. So keep an eye on that. 
I would, if I'm a Georgia fan, really watch guys like Michael Williams on the outside. I would watch how Jalen Carter pushes the the interior of the line for TCU. Those will be some very big variables to watch in this game. So lastly, the TCU offense. Going back to that same narrative that was being pushed going into the game against Michigan, the physicality, the physicality, the physicality. And you look down and you say, well, TCU was actually the team that had a huge day running the football. TCU was the one who ripped off the 70-plus yard run, did Amar DiMarcado. How did that happen? And this is not to take anything away from TCU, but when you watch the game back, TCU didn't, didn't make it a physical game. They didn't make it a game where they have to just go toe-to-toe with the big folks at Michigan and have to just throw knockout punch after knockout punch. What they did, and Sonny Dykes is a genius for doing this, they had a ton of misdirection. So you had guys motioning all over the place. And what does that do to you as a defense? You're looking all around. <laughs> Your eyes are all over the place. And when your eyes are all over the place, you're not seeing one thing. And that one thing is the football. And so, I mean, you go back and watch the tape. There was multiple plays where TCU was ripping off big runs going one way. You got a linebacker or a safety going the other way. Okay? That's, that's what I call addition by subtraction for TCU. Also, expect a lot of zone schemes. The reason why we mention this is because TCU, similar to the Michigan game, they're not trying to go toe-to-toe with Georgia. They're not trying to say, okay, our guy versus your guy. They're trying to play smarter. They're trying to play harder, trying to play smarter. In a zone scheme, you're just blocking a space. I don't need to have a pancake block from my offensive line. I don't need to just move you wholeheartedly against your will while I just grit my teeth and find a way. It's, okay, you want to go left? I'll take you left from the defensive lineman. Defensive lineman wants to rush up field? That's cool. We'll push you that way too. And the, the gap sort of are a choice then for the running back for how to cut. He obviously has a read he's looking at, but you're able to sort of dip and dive off of those different reads. So I fully expect this to be a heavyweight bout. We're going to get both teams prepped to the nth degree. But I'm telling you, Georgia's offense, pass first, run second, at least to start. TCU's defense, let's rally quick to the football. Those linebackers, those safeties, they're coming downhill quick. How effective they are in doing that, if they're effective like they were against Michigan, going to be a very good day for the TCU defense. Georgia defensively, it's going to be play with your man out wide. Hey, our guy versus your guy, street fight style. Let's see who's better. Big boys up front. We're going to turn it back to you. Y'all go to work. For TCU's offense, misdirection, speed, playing in space. It's not going to be a boxing match. It's not going to be jujitsu. It's going to be, dang, we're going to steal a punch here, scissor kick here, kind of like an MMA-style fight. They want to play in space. Want to play in space, does the TCU offense. So those are the game plans. I would expect this will take shape earlier. Keep an eye out for halftime adjustments, but I'm fired up for this one, man. Going to be a blast. And the dogs and the frogs set to get after it in SoFi Stadium. And we will chop it up afterwards as to what we saw. But that's going to be a movie, man. I mean, we, really, we got two just, we got, we got blessed with this national title game. Can't believe it. Can't, well, I mean, I can't believe, I can't believe TCU's in it. I mean that in the most positive way possible. They were picked second to last in their conference. Second, second to last in their conference, Nick Brake. That um, blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. But that's a testament, and I'll get on my soapbox, and I'll get off it. That is a testament to why we don't need to expand this thing, man. Everybody telling me, everybody and their mother saying, well, 
This is how you get to the playoff. Better resources. You got to be a have in college football. You got to have the branding. TCU, 10, 12,000 undergrad. Five and seven the year before. First year head coach. Handled their business. Handled their business, then lost the conference title game. Still, found a way. All right, TCU is in. Obviously, Georgia is in. I'll get off my soapbox, but that's why I feel like we don't need to expand the playoff. Let's move on to a team that has aspirations to eventually make the playoff here in the very near future. About the Oklahoma Sooners. They are going to be moving to the SEC potentially here a little bit sooner. No pun intended. Uh, the question gets begged a lot of the time with them and with Texas. We'll talk about Texas, I would imagine, in the near future. But for Oklahoma, are they ready for the SEC? I mean, they went 6-7 and seven this year. They had a first-year head coach who, not just first-year at Oklahoma as the head coach, his first time ever being a head coach. Are they ready for what's going to happen in the SEC? Got to break that question down just a little bit. I think what people are asking when they say that is, is Oklahoma going to have the grit? Are they going to be tough enough? Are they going to be physical enough to play with those big bad boys down in Baton Rouge and with Tuscaloosa and Athens and Oxford? Like, are they going to be able to withstand the physicality? So here's the answer. If they were to go to the SEC today, it's not novel analysis. They went six and seven this past year in, in 2022 in the Big 12 Conference. I don't think they're ready for the SEC this year in terms of competing for conference titles. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of teams in the SEC that aren't competing for the conference title. So take that as you will. Now, in the future, we got to look at direction. We got to look at trajectory. We got to look at process. And I think they're really building this thing with an eye towards the future. And I think they're doing it effectively. Going back to what I just said, the question is, well, are they going to be tough enough? Will they have it in the trenches? Listen, if they don't have it in the trenches, it won't be for a lack of effort. Because Brent Venables has gone out and put together a Cruton class for the program. They are a top 10 class at the time of us being live right now. And of their 25 commits from the high school level, 13 of those are what I like to call trench players. And a trench player doesn't have to be a down lineman. It could be a linebacker. It could be a tight end. Anybody that's about to just stick their face mask in your face mask and try and move you against your will, like they're going to mix it up and try and establish the line of scrimmage. I consider that a trench player. So 13 of the 25 are trench players. And that class ranking should tell you some pretty good trench players. Also, in terms of looking to the future, you got to look at the competition, right? Because it, it doesn't matter if I have the number 10 ranked class, which Oklahoma is higher than that right now, but stick with me here. Theoretically, if the other nine teams ahead of me, I got to play on the schedule. If I'm, if I'm getting the 10th best talent in my surrounding area, but I'm 10 in the country, like it doesn't really matter. So here's who they're ahead of right now. There's more teams, but this is the notable ones. They're ahead of LSU. They're ahead of Florida, ahead of Tennessee, and ahead of Texas A&M. It's a very big deal. I think personnel-wise, they are just continuing to position themselves to be competitive. Now, I'll make this also very clear. They have to develop that. It's not good enough to just get a four-star, five-star into your program. You have to then develop that and get the most out of that. And also, just to be frank, you have to re-recruit that individual every single year. Here's another thing outside of the trench players. Bill Pullian said this at the personnel symposium this past year in Tennessee, or in Nashville, I guess Nashville's in Tennessee, but we were there is what I'm trying to tell you. And it was 
so simple, but I think so true. And he was talking about what you need at different positions to be successful. Hey, look for this sort of build, look for this kind of skill set at wide receiver and so on and so forth for, you know, linebacker and what have you. But then he got to the quarterback position and just said, if you have the quarterback position right, you solve 60% of your problems. Oklahoma feels like they got the quarterback position right. Jackson Arnold, one of the best in the country at a Denton Geyer, five-star kid. He is a guy that I am very, very excited to see. We like him a lot here. Does Charles Power, director of scouting for On3. Turned on the tape the other day, or turned on the live game, rather, in the Under Armour All-American game. He was dealing, man. Dude can spin the rock, so keep an eye on that. But you're building personnel-wise, having the quarterback right on paper, and then having the trenches right on paper. So things are all headed the right direction. It's not equating to wins just yet, but things are headed the right direction in terms of what you've done so far this point in the process. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not yet subscribed to the program and joined us here, we would love to have you on the roster. We'd love to have you a part of what we're building here. I won't push it too much, but I will just say that. We do this 12 months out of the year, and we cover it how college football operates. We don't take a break. Neither does the sport. So thank you in advance for that. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, at JD Paquel. We can have a lot of interaction there. Tell me more of what you want to see on this program. It's your show. People's show for the people, by the people, everything you know and love about this beautiful sport. All right. The question so often for a program that is in a transition period, like Oklahoma is, do you have the right leadership? Do you have the right guy leading the program and taking this thing where you want it to go? I think they do. I wholeheartedly believe they do. You went six and seven, like I said, so you're, you probably have a, a split room in Norman in terms of what you believe about Brent Venables right now. I'll just say this. He's made up of the right things. Like, take away all the feelings you have about, you know, what you've heard and what you thought about him prior. Just look at the facts. Great recruiter. He, he understands it's a talent acquisition game. They have a number six class right now. They are going to get top talent to Norman. Now, I've developed it. It's not good enough to just get the ingredients. If I just have flour and pepperonis, I don't have pizza, right? It's got flour and pepperonis. Bad deal. I think they're going to develop that well. But at the end of the day, you have the ingredients, and that's half the battle. And they're going to continue to have the ingredients in Norman. Also, the scheme. You got to have the X's and O's too, y'all. Like, just, it's just the reality. You know it and I know it. We've watched too many different programs stumble and fall with great talent. I don't mean to bang on Texas A&M right here, but let's just be real. They had a lot of talent, a lot of ability last year. Nobody really feels like they maximized it. I would echo that sentiment for the people in College Station. I think they feel that way. And thus, they went and hired Bobby Petrino. So, the scheme of what they have, it works. But I will say this. It is very much so personnel-driven. So some of the things you saw last year that you weren't thrilled about, some of the things that you're frustrated about last year, some of that could be, okay, we're getting adjusted to the scheme. We're still figuring it out, how to execute perfectly and how to execute consistently. But I think a lot of that, too, is just getting the right guys because they ask a lot of that defensive line. Think back to those Clemson teams that he coached on the defensive side. Freakish, freakish defensive linemen. Great length 
great speed, great size. That's what they're going to recruit, especially in the trenches there. P.J. Adebayo is an absolute dog. He lit up the UA All-American game too. So they're going to get the right guys. I'm just saying the, the scheme works better than I think what you saw it look like this past year. It's not to knock who they have on the roster. Just keep an eye on especially the edge position and who they're getting in the transfer portal. Desan McCullough from Indiana. It's an enormous kid. Same build as P.J. Adebayo. A guy who can run, a guy who can play the edges. So they're going to get there. They're going to get there, but I really do believe in the scheme. It's a proven scheme with different personnel at Clemson. I'll just leave it at that. He also has some skins on the wall. It's not like he's never touched the SEC. It's not like he's never played against an SEC program. Actually, guess what? He's got two wins against the greatest coach of all time. Now, those aren't Brent Venable's head coach football team. He's a defensive coordinator, but I'm just telling you, he's not going to be overwhelmed with what the SEC presents. In fact, if you listen to his press conferences and different things that Brent Venables has said since he got to Norman, he references the SEC a fair amount. He understands, hey, physicality, that's, that's maybe kicked up a notch just by nature of who's in that conference, by nature of how they've built their teams over time. That's going to be something that requires a little bit more from us. So that's the reality there. But 2023 for this team is huge. 2023, I think, in terms of what they'll look like when they get to the SEC, not to say that it'll be the end-all, be-all on Brett Menables, but what it will be like in terms of a bridge you're getting to the SEC, it's enormous. Because I think this is the year where you had your one acclimation year. If you're somebody watching, whether you're a recruit, whether you're a fan, you have some patience for the first year. Now, we want to see proof of concept. And that is especially true for recruits. Now, I want to see that you can be competitive after hitting the portal, after having an offseason, after getting, you know, sort of your, your feet wet as a head coach. Now, folks are going to want to see some ROI. And this whole thing is the equivalent of the snowball effect. Because if you have proof of concept, you get some more wins, right? What does that do? Hey, I'm a recruit. I might want, I might want to go play at Oklahoma. It's a big brand. I see them doing well. I see guys in my position getting drafted. Okay. I believe in that. More talent. What does more talent equate to? Better roster. Better roster. You have to develop that. Like I said, you have to develop it. You have to build it the right way and have depth there. Put a better roster. We're back to the top of the wheel now. More wins. More, more opportunities to win, rather. Doesn't, doesn't, totally equate to just a national championship after a couple cycles. But I'm just saying that is what I think is at stake here. Because if they have, let's say, another year, they win six games. You kind of say, uh, is that who Oklahoma is? Is that what I'm getting into? And it starts to, I don't know if it, if it slips, but I think it stays stagnant. And the reality is you can't be stagnant in terms of your roster and as your program heading into the SEC. So for this year, if they could be somewhere in the nine-win range, I think that could really kickstart things. Make a New Year's Six Bowl, heck, win a New Year's Six Bowl, that, that would be very, very impactful for this program in terms of momentum going forward. So Brent Venables in Oklahoma, are they ready for the SEC today? They went 6-7 and seven last year. I think it's a hard argument. But the great news is they got time. They're still building. They're not going to the SEC today. They're going to the SEC in what sounds like a, a year or two, two years, give or take. They're building it the right way. I believe in Brent Menables. I believe in what he's doing. I think the Sooners will be ready 
when that day comes for them to head to the Southeastern Conference. And I'll just say this, man. When we get Oklahoma and Texas as an SEC matchup, that'd be wild. That's going to be a crazy day. Imagine, imagine Texas and Alabama playing for the SEC title or Oklahoma and Georgia going toe-to-toe for the SEC title. I don't know if we're ready for it. I hope we are, but I don't know that we're ready for it. All right. Moving right along. Yes, the college football playoff is happening here very, very soon. But we got to talk about a program that is a fan favorite here on our program, so we're going to do that accordingly. The Tennessee Volunteers. Your Orange Bowl champion, Tennessee Volunteers, had a huge jump from year one, seven wins to year two. 11 wins, 10 in the regular season, and an Orange Bowl championship. What does it all mean? Like, I know there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of buzz, a lot of juice. Vibes are high. Some would say the vibes are immaculate. But what does it mean right now for Tennessee? Even more so the trajectory going forward. Because looking back last year, I say you took a massive leap. I don't think that's wildly insightful to say. Everybody knows that. They took a massive leap. Everybody knows that, Captain Obvious. And seven wins to 11 wins. The, the thing I would say there is they're just ahead of schedule right? Like they are ahead of what they would have wanted for year two. The key thing to remember though, college football programs are like houses. It's like building a house starts with the foundation and the external of the house looks great right now. Let me just say that paint job looks great. The roofing is great. The interior, heck I'll even say the interior, the living room, all the furniture, it looks beautiful. The results are great. Beat Alabama, 11-win season, won the Orange Bowl. That's phenomenal. Optically, we love it. Those are perfect results. I don't say perfect. Those are really, really great results. I guess perfect for the good folks in Knoxville. be a national championship. But you hear the sentiment that I'm telling you. The results, the external, all really good, how it looks. With that being said, we're still putting together the foundation if we're Josh Heupel and company. We're still building what this thing is going to be for years to come. Because a lot of great programs will have one good year and then sort of regress to the mean. I don't get the sense that's what Tennessee's going to be going forward, but 2023 will be a huge year for that, and we will unpack that a little bit more. But going back to the foundation, just hearing the way that Josh Heupel talked about his program, just philosophically, I think he's made of the right stuff, similar to what I said about Brent Venables. But Josh Heupel has no flinch in him. Persona is very calm. Demeanor is very calm. And we saw that in his football team multiple times. Saw it in the Orange Bowl. Hey, Hannah Hooker can't go. Got a lot of guys out. A lot of guys opted out. Joe Milton, you're in. That's cool. Throw it 28 times, coach. I'll throw three touchdowns. We'll score a lot of points. We'll have a good day. Like, they just reset. There's no flinch, no moment. Feels like it's too big for this team. Now, foundationally, that's one of the pieces. The other piece is the recruiting trail. And Tennessee is becoming more and more of a hot commodity. They finished with the number 12 class, according to the on three consensus team recruiting rankings, on the early signing day, which we now just kind of call signing day. They're going to have another shot at it in February. The number 12 class maybe just optically feels like it's a touch disappointing because of where you were during the season. I would just, I, I would caution you from approaching it that way. I would caution you from thinking about it that way because when I, when I look at Tennessee, I think they just got who they wanted to get, right? Like they signed, everybody who was committed, good deal. Job well done. Good day at the office. 
they didn't like lose a bunch of guys. They didn't have somebody else flip on them on signing day to, you know, make their class just plummet. They signed who they were supposed to sign. That's great. So going forward, you look at some other pieces foundationally. Do you have the right coach? Folks, in Knoxville, I believe you have one of the best coaches in college football. The sample size is small. It's only going to be year three for him, but I'm just telling you, the way that he schemes it up, the way that he carries himself, whoa, I'm hitting the notepad across the screen here. The way that he conducts himself, let me see, reset, just like Josh Hype, we're going to reset, we're good to go. That's how we operate our program too. He doesn't get phased, and they are a team that I think cares about the right things. They're focused on, we say it all the time, internal over external. Internal starts first. We're going to do things the right way in-house. We're going to trust it's all going to happen on the field. I think that's setting them apart from a lot of these other programs, just quite frankly. To be honest with you, that's kind of the way they're operating right now. But all of this is going to hinge for me next year, at least success-wise, on Joe Milton. Really quickly, if you have not yet subscribed to our program, we would love to have y'all. We'd love to have you at the party. We say it all the time. The people show. So whatever you know and love about this sport, whatever you find the most exciting and what gives you the most energy and life about this sport, we cover it here and we try and body, bottle that up and embody that and, and just have it be what we do here. We try and put that forward for you because that's how we feel about this sport too. We love it just as much as you. We feel overwhelmingly grateful that we get to do it as a job. Also, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Jody Pacell. Just a great medium for us to have a back and forth, for us to have some communication and do more, quite frankly, of what you want to see on this program, all right? Talking about Joe Milton. In the Orange Bowl, I think he impressed everybody. Like, going into that game, we all knew he could throw it a quarter mile. We all knew he had Uncle Rico kind of arm strength. But in that game, he was a great decision maker. He was a great manager of the offense. He, I thought, got them in the right play and moved the pocket well. Like, he was a guy that was the catalyst behind this offense. And you could have talked yourself into a game where no hand and hooker, the offense is going to look different. They're just going to hand the ball left, hand the ball right, make his job easy. That's what I thought. I thought it was going to be take things off Joe Milton's plate, let him cook when he has to, when there's money on the table, cash in. That wasn't the game that we saw. They had confidence in him to go out and cook. And they paid dividends. So my question now is, is that Joe Milton we saw in the Orange Bowl going to be who we see the majority of the time next year? Is that going to be consistently what we get from him, output-wise? Because if it is, Tennessee's going to have a chance to be really, really good. You don't need to score 44 points a game, but if you can be right around 38, 40-ish, you're going to have a chance to be really, really good. Because look at the graphic on the screen here talking about just how good they were last year. I mean, some of those numbers, over 500 yards a game. I believe it was something close to nine yards a pass. Like, in every statistical category, they were just absolutely elite. And did all of it by being a run-first football team. 54% of the time, they were pounding the rock. I think that'll still be their approach. But my question after that is, okay, if you're going to be just really good offensively, can the defense just be 10% better? Can the defense just be better to where they're not giving up 287 yards a game through the air? Because that's what hurt them, really. I mean, the secondary was a place that Tennessee was not bad all the time. They had some really good showings against Kentucky especially, but it's somewhere where they have to be more consistent, somewhere where they can just be better from wire to wire. Because if the defense can just be 10% better, then I think you actually allow some growing pains for the offense. 
not saying it's going to be absolutely the way it goes, but you have a new quarterback, right? You feel what I'm saying here? It might take a second to get that thing humming how you want it to hum. Joe Milton's his own quarterback. It's not going to be a thing where plug and play, Henry Hooker's gone, next man up, same results. I'm not saying it won't be. I'm just saying don't expect that right off the bat. Let them kind of become their own offense. And if they can be, like I said, really effective and the defense can take a step forward and allow that margin for error for that offense to kind of find themselves in the early going, then I think they have a chance to be really, really good. I think they have a chance to be as good, if not better, than what they did this past season. Now, what will that equate to on the field? I don't know. We're going to find out. They're playing a really tough conference, and it's year three of a program. Like, they're still finding themselves, but I think those are the key ingredients for them to get back to the form they were in this past season, even with some new personnel. So at the end of the day, here's what I think about Tennessee. 2022 was a magical year. But 2022 can mean as much for them as they want it to mean as well as they play in 2023. Like if they win six games next year, if the sky falls in on them and all the bad things happen in Tennessee and they win six games, what was, 22, what was 2022? It was a fun year, right? It was a great memory. A lot of cool moments, cool sound bites. Threw a goalpost in the river, see if it floats. Apparently it doesn't. It was a great memory. But if they're able to build on that, if they're able to put together another great year in 2023, well, then guess what happens? Momentum. Big Mo enters the building. Program starts rolling a little bit more. And then people start looking at Tennessee differently and saying, oh, man, it's the second year they did that. Maybe Tennessee's a program that I want to go play at. I'm a four- or five-star kind of kid. Maybe I want to consider Tennessee in my top three, top five. So I think this is going to be a very big year for them to cash in on the success they had in 2022. So I'm excited about it. I promise you, we have a lot of coverage we're going to give you for spring football. Heck, through the winter, you know we're here in the fall. It's how we operate. But all year long, we got you covered. The Vols have a very bright future. And 2023 will be a big-time cash-in year and a big-time momentum year if they can capitalize on what they've got in-house. Very excited for that. Very, very excited. So Tennessee gets rolling, man. Think about that. Alabama's good, Georgia's good, Tennessee's good on paper. If Florida gets it together with Billy Napier, that's going to be something we talk about here in the near future, I would imagine, as well, as we get rolling here past the national championship game. I'm just saying, I think the SEC, from a parity perspective, if you're into that, it's going to have it for you. We'll leave it at that. Uh, if you have not yet liked the video, we'd love to have you like the video. It helps us. It would just be a great favor, so I appreciate that in advance. Little electrolytes for those you listening on podcast. We're also on podcast, man. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to the hard count. If you leave us a comment on there, if it's a five-star review, we will get to your question. This is your show. I say it all the time. This is your program for the people, by the people. And if you get in there and leave us a comment, we will do our best to get to it and include it into the live show. So thank you in advance for that. All right. The Georgia tight end room is special. It's a three-headed monster. You got Oscar Delp, you got Brock Bowers. You hope to have Darnell Washington for this football game in SoFi Stadium. I think it's important you do, but Georgia is very unique in how they operate offensively. A lot of it has to do with that tight end room, y'all. A lot of it. They live in what we call 12 personnel. And 12 personnel, to put it as simply as possible, 
one running back, two tight ends. Everyone likes to, likes to sound smart and put 12 personnel on things and say 12 personnel. It's just playing two tight ends. It's what that second number means. And a lot of these teams just straight up can't match up with Georgia. Like, not to be disrespectful, but the, the unicorns they have in that room is why they're able to be really effective offensively. Also, Stetson Bennett's a dog, so that's one thing. But I'm telling you, schematically, they ask a lot of their tight ends, and I want to break down why. For starters, they're all big dudes. Like Darnell Washington, 6'7", 270. He's like a peanut butter sandwich shy of being an offensive tackle that can run pretty fast. You got Oscar Delp, who's 6'5", 225. You got the unicorn himself, Brock Bowers, 6'4", 230. So what does all this mean, J.D.? I'm telling me these numbers, telling me they're big dudes. I already knew that. I got eyes. They work just fine. Okay, well, I, I hear you. What that does to a defense, schematically, I have to match your mass, is what I like to say. Because when I have big human beings and Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington out there, let's just use them for example. We hope Darnell Washington can go, by the way. We hope he's able to go. We'll see. It's looking like it's 50-50. When I have big human beings out there, you have to match that. Because if you're a safety, if I want to go with what I call like a fast personnel, I want to put my fast guys out there, typically the fast guys, guess what? They're not super heavy. They usually ring in right around 200 pounds, maybe 210 if we're being optimistic. That's great, but when we're running the football downhill at you, there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. All right, the boogeyman's coming after you. His name is Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, Oscar Delp. They're all coming after you downhill. You can't, you can't dodge out of the way of that. And if you do, guess what? Running back's coming right behind me. So, okay, you're going to be in fast personnel. We're going to out-physical you. We're going to run the football. All right? You know what? We're tired of having you just pancake our safety. We're tired of having you just run us over like it's a Tonka truck. We're going to play with some heavier guys out there, okay? That means our linebackers, our heavier safeties. They're not as fast. I'll give you that. They're not as fast, but you are not going to bully us anymore. We're done with that. Give me that lunch money back. That's the approach. Well, that's, that's all well and good, but here's the reality. They're unicorns, like I said. So matchup-wise, if I'm a linebacker and I'm like 230, I'm trying to run with Brock Bowers, it ain't going to happen. You know, I mean, it, you're not going to match up with Brock Bowers effectively. He's going to run right past you. He's going to go vertical. He's going to score a touchdown. You're going to hear that Georgia band just rocking and rolling. One of my favorite bands, by the way. I think they do a great job. Love hearing them on the broadcast. Brock Bowers, freak. Darnell Washington, size-wise, I don't know how you match up with him. Like, even if you are 230, even if you are in my hip pocket, I'm just going to throw an alley-oop to him from Stetson Bennett. I'm going to put it at the rim, let Big O go get it, and that's kind of the way that we're going to live, man. And in the red zone, that's going to work really well. So that's going to be tricky. That is crucial, though. They have Darnell Washington available. Oscar Delp, limited sample size, 6'5", 225, so he's not necessarily the, the same, not even necessarily, he's not at all the same width of Darnell Washington doesn't present that same physical presence, but still 6'5", 225, we're sort of splitting hairs here. He's still going to be a problem for whoever you have to match up with. But you hear what I'm saying here. From a matchup perspective, it is tough to stick with big physical human beings. You don't have an answer necessarily. That's always quite as simple. So you got it creative defensively. If you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you at the party. We'd love to have you a part of our program. We cover this thing year-round. 12 months out of the year, we got you. 
Clock's going to hit triple zeros in SoFi Stadium. I promise you, it's going to happen. Nick Brake and myself, we're fortunate enough to be able to be there. When it does, though, the college football content realm will get a little bit scarce. Not here. We got you year-round, 365 days. We cover this, we cover this beautiful sport according to how it operates. Also, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at J.D. Pakel. A lot of things on those platforms we can then incorporate back into this show. Also a great medium for us to interact, like I already mentioned. When it comes to having two tight ends on the field like this, when you have so much versatility with these guys, it's just it's tough as a defense because there's no tell when you're a, a, a play caller. Like, usually when you have two tight ends on the field, I say, okay, two big human beings. What are we going to do? They're probably going to run the football. And Kirby Smart said as much, we don't have to sacrifice size and speed when we have those guys out there. We can line Brock Bowers up, and we can just go deep. We view him as a receiver for us. He can do those kinds of things. Is essentially what they're telling me with how they call the offense. They can go vertical and do the smash mouth game equally well without having to change personnel. So if I'm a defensive coordinator, I got to look elsewhere besides personnel groupings to figure out what George is doing. I'm off balance. In some sense, I might have to guess. I got to look at the formation, which they're already doing. I understand that. But it just is an extra added advantage during the week for Georgia that they don't have to surrender anything on that side of things. They don't have to give up size or speed in order to call different plays. They can call four verts. They can call outside zone and be just fine with either guy on the field. So, like I said, very, very crucial for Donald Washington to be out there because of this, the, the way that he adds to the trenches. Unofficially, just by scanning the roster for Georgia, the offensive line is somewhere in the range of like 300, 310 pounds is, is kind of the average weight from what I can glean. Darnell Washington's 270. I mean, if, if you let him hold your next door neighbor's dog, he's the same weight. Like he's going to overpower whoever you have in front of him is what I'm trying to tell you. To add an extra physical presence on the end, it's hard to account for. Even if you scheme it up effectively, you probably have to commit extra resources to helping whoever that is in the run game. And so if he can play in the run game especially, that's going to mean a lot for Georgia. Now going back to what I said about the way that they use them in the past game just breaks your rules. Because if I'm a defender... I view a tight end and a wide receiver differently with how I'm lining up, with how I'm calling my defense. And when Brock Bowers is out there, defensively, do we call him a tight end coach? Or do we call, we call him a receiver? He runs a 4-5-40. What do we do? How do you want me to play? You tell me, you tell me what the solution is here, coach. So I'm not saying this is going to guarantee Georgia winning the football game. I'm just telling you, they have a lot of different problems they can pose for you, which there's not a simplistic answer. Hear what I'm saying here? So the matchup to watch in this game, I think unequivocally, is the TCU safeties and the Georgia tight ends. And the reason why I believe that is because they ask a lot of both of those position groups respectfully within their programs, or respectively within their programs. Respectively, too. I think they're very nice when they ask them to do it. Uh, the TCU safeties, they're going to ask them, like we've said already in this live show, they're going to ask them to trigger on the run semi-consistently, you have some sort of run support responsibility. At the same time, hey, you better not trigger too quickly because you have some pass responsibilities as well. You got to keep a lid on this defense for us. 
Same thing with Georgia. They're going to ask them to run block. They're going to ask them to go deep. That back and forth, keeping them honest in terms of how much they go vertical with those tight ends could really set the tone. Like I said, I've told you, I think Georgia's going to come out swinging, throwing the football. I think they're going to throw it early and often like we saw against Ohio State. If you can win the early matchup and make those TCU safeties just maybe think twice a little bit before they go downhill. Maybe just have a second thought of, hmm, could this be a pass? Guess what? The ball is already with Kenny McIntosh. He's already got ahead of steam, and he's already two, three yards downfield with more space to work. Safety's got to fill. That's where I think this could really be effective for Georgia. So all in all, it's an embarrassment of riches for Georgia in the tight end room. I would say at least in 2022, you got to call them tight end university. A lot of other schools up for that title. Don't get too mad at me. I'm just calling it how I see it. Again, the Georgia Bulldogs, 59% of the time, they're lining up 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field, most in FBS. They present problems. TCU will have their work cut out for them. They will have to solve it. And I don't envy them one bit. Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. That is going to be an absolute blast to watch that back and forth. Joe Gillespie, like I said, someone I have a ton of respect in regards to what he's done with that defense and the way that they just had their way early on with Michigan, forced them to recalibrate. Like, TCU's a good ball club. They're a good defense. And the Georgia offense, Stetson Bennett's the leader. Yes, I understand that. But they get to be so multiple because of that freakish tight end room. Good on them. Big reason why they're playing the national title game. All right, welcoming in now the heavy lifter, the keeper of the queue, the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Heavy Lifter Break. Nick, we did it a little bit different today, man. We went to the Twitter sphere to get some uh, some word from the people. First of all, how are you doing? Good, man. S- great, uh, amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna go pack to my hear. bags. Let's go. Bags are packed. Yeah, yours packed. Uh, laid out. I did okay. some laundry last night. We're not totally ready okay. to roll just yet. Yeah, we're getting there. You know what I'm saying? It's it's not a done deal, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're moving ever so closer to. Uh, Mm-hmm. to the big departure man but went to this went to the twitter sphere yep. uh what's the good word man what's going on out there what are they saying uh we've got a number of questions all of them good of which uh, this first one austin flowers does jordan travis deserve to be in the conversation for the heisman next year jd yeah that's a great question i want to be careful how i answer this i think from a team perspective florida state could absolutely be a team that competes for the acc competes for making the college football playoff We're not calling our shot right now. I think from that perspective, it makes sense. Jordan Travis took a a great step forward this year from the year before, just production-wise, what he is as a passer, how he leads the offense. If he can take another step forward, make the same size step forward as he did from 2021, 2022 to 2022 to 2023, then I think there's a good chance. My concern is so much of what Florida State does offensively is – on the ground so I think he has to put up some big numbers consistently and he can do it I mean he's shown he can do it he's slung the ball around against Oklahoma will he be able to do it consistently week in and week out from a game plan perspective I just I'm curious so deserves some buzz when the preview magazines drop I promise you Jordan Travis will be in a fair amount of those Heisman power rankings heck he might be in our Heisman power rankings when we put that out there Uh, I'm going to withhold judgment possible yes is he the shot that I'm calling to win the Heisman next year? Not right now. Not right now. How's that for sitting on a fence, Nick? 
is that I think it's good. You know, I can sleep on a fence. Mm-hmm. The key is to is to sleep with the uh, the pole under your chin. It's, hey, what? <laughs> life lessons today. You, uh, you know what I'm you know what I'm referencing there. I do. Though. Yes. You, you're with it. <laughs> well done, JD. Uh, our next one. You're so nice to me, man. I no, likewise. Uh, Taylor <laughs> Chase, Mr. Chasey VFL. If Harbaugh does leave for the NFL, who do you think is at the top of the list? for the vacant Michigan job, J.D.? That's a great question. Also, if you're not yet following me on Twitter, we got these questions from Twitter. So if you want to contribute to future question and answer, hit us on Twitter. We'll have a good time. We'll get to those. Uh, could also be in the comment section of the podcast if you've got a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. I digress. Great question. A question that we may need to answer in a little more depth here soon. I said on our live show, I think it was Tuesday, that... If that does end up happening, I would protect the culture at Michigan. And the guy who protects that culture, in my mind, is Sharon Moore, a guy who's been there since 2018. He gets what Michigan is. And if you just want to keep a good thing going, you go with Sharon Moore. The thing that I wouldn't rule out is that jaw drop higher. Like I said, the feeling you got when you saw Brian Kelly at LSU on your iPhone or you saw you know, Lincoln Riley at USC. Like, I don't think anybody's off limits for them. I also think Matt Campbell is just going to continue to be a name in all these high-profile coaching searches until he's not. So I'm not calling my shot for Matt Campbell. I think you keep an eye on Matt Campbell. I'd be tempted to just go with Sharon Moore, to be honest with you. I'd be surprised if it happened just by nature of Michigan being Michigan and having that brand power to go and shop a little bit. Um, So Matt Campbell, Sharon Moore, two names that I would keep an eye on, but a great question. And when when that does happen, nay. If that does happen, I should say, we will make sure we have uh, an in-depth thought for you in terms of guys that we're hearing and guys that we think could be good fits. But great question. Another great question from the, yep. from the Twitter sphere, Nick. Yep. Uh, next question. Uh, this one comes from Cade underscore ISO. Great. Who will be QB1 for OSU? That's a great question. This is uh, the last question, correct, Nick? Uh, yes. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm not, uh, not incorrect That's there. That's yeah. Cade, great question, man. Um, Here's the deal. You got Devin Brown. You got Kyle McCord. The unfortunate reality in the day and age of the transfer portal, it's going to be hard to keep both of them because both of them could start a lot of places around the country. Devin Brown is a guy that we were really high on here at on three. Kyle McCord is probably the, the guy who is the most... I believe he's a little bit older, so I think he's probably the most experienced in terms of being in that system. Um, I would lean Kyle McCord for that reason right now, just because he's had a little bit more of his feet being wet. Keep an eye on that one. As soon as spring hits, as soon as we get any kind of intel, we're going to lock in with you. I'm just curious, how much does Ryan Day not calling plays impact who this quarterback is? So right now, I'll go Kyle McCord just for the pure age difference there for the pure experience difference but Devin Brown enormous talent and if I'm Ohio State I do everything in my power through all the NIL dollars that I have available to me in the vault to keep them both on campus because that would be that'd be the ideal situation but Kyle McCord's my vote great question Cade Nick appreciate you man you uh you said you're almost packed is that right uh no i'm not almost packed equipment wise i am packed but i have not gotten all my on three merch beautiful uh in, into my suitcase yet but jd i'll see you at the airport tomorrow man good deal brother i'll see you at the airport and then also we'll uh we'll make sure we get some in and out while we're down there on the best coast good deal again nick break keeper of the queue heavy lifter extraordinaire answering the questions making it all happen here man them with the legend
Not a lot more to be said. Golly, it's game week, man. It is the game week. And our live show is, is concluding right now, but listen, we're going to have a lot more content when we touch down in L.A. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, keep it locked right here. Subscribe to the On3 YouTube channel because we have got a ton, and I do mean a ton, of video content on this YouTube channel coming your way. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Jody Piquel to stay with more content coming from there. They're going to let us in at Media Day. We're going to go check out practice. Like, it's going to be an absolute blast. We're very, very grateful uh, to the National Championship game for allowing us to be there and for everything that's about to go down here in L.A. should be, should be phenomenal. You can tell I'm a little bit lost for words for uh, this kind of opportunity for us. And uh, so excited to bring you all along with this here for the hard count for us here at On3. We appreciate you. We are grateful that you're here. And we're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.